Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. We are in a series that I've entitled God Is. And today I'm going to, I'm going to be talking on this topic. In fact, I, I want you to, to look in your Bibles first of all. Exodus chapter 34, verse 1, John 13, 34. Get both of those. We're going to go into Exodus 34 right off the bat, and then John 13. And uh, I'm asking you to take some notes, jot some things down, because I really believe God's going to speak to you today. But I've been talking about the characteristics of God. And these are characteristics that God first revealed to mankind. Uh, and, and, and these are not only characteristics of him, which we learn about him and how he relates to us, but these are characteristics that we are supposed to embed into our own lives. They are actually embedded in us through the, through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, because God does dwell in us, and we exist it's the same thing. So we're going to talk about both today. And, uh, and I want you to open your hearts. In fact, I want to pray for you right now. God, I, I pray for open hearts. I pray for a vulnerable, uh, open spirits just to receive everything that you want to speak to us today, God, because we don't come here out of religious duty. Maybe we've come here out of a habit, which is a good thing, but, but God, we've come here to encounter the God of the universe. We've come here to be the family of God, to love one another and to pray with one another. And God, we've also come together to hear your word and to worship. And I pray, Lord, that, that we will receive everything you want to speak to us as individuals today. In Jesus' name, amen. And my prayer and my belief is, is that God will take what I'm sharing with you today and he'll custom design it because everyone will hear something a little bit different today. But it's not just me that's saying it, it's the Holy Spirit. So listen when your heart beats. Listen when you feel that because that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you because God will speak to you personally and individually. Well, we've talked about how God, uh, God is compassionate. We've talked about how God is gracious. We've talked about how God is slow to anger. Today, I'm talking about how God is abounding in love. So that's the name of the, the message today. God is abounding in love. And, and we live in a culture that has all of these twisted and bizarre definitions of love. Uh, a lot of the love definitions in our culture are conditional. Like, well, if you do this, if I'll do that, then we can love each other. And, and, uh, Today we're going to talk about how the love of God is really different from that and how the love of God abounds toward us and what that means for us. So, so uh, just a little bit of background if you're just jumping into this series. Uh, Moses and God's people were at Mount Sinai. God had given Moses the Ten Commandments, and uh, he had given them on these stone tablets. But, uh, but, but Moses came down off the mountain, and he threw a fit. He got angry. He wasn't acting like God. <laughs> and he took the commandments and the, 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 the tablets and he shattered them into pieces and, and threw a big, actually he threw a big fit. He just threw a big, a big fit. So, so God saw this. Moses really needs to know what kind of a God I really am because I'm not like that. And, and he also needed Moses to impart this truth to Israel. So, so God spoke to Moses. Moses went back up the mountain. God spoke to him. And from this, we actually have the template of really what the gospel is all about, who God really is, and what God wants us to hear as well. So, so I want us to look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. Go, he is uh, God speaking to Moses right here. He says, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets by the way, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. 
present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks or the herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early that morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And here we are. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. Moses didn't know this was about to happen. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So Moses bowed to the ground and worshiped. God is abounding in love. Now, I I know what you're saying. It's like, yeah, I know God is love. We might know it, but what I want us to move from today is just getting it, moving it from the head to our hearts because this thing of love, God is love, it, it almost comes across a little bit trite. It almost comes across a little bit overused. But today... I, your, your, your soul, your, your emotions, you're, you're, you're going to receive this today. I really believe it. Now, I want to explain that the love of God is not like the love of fajitas. <laughs> it's not like I love Fort Worth. It's not like I love to go fishing or I love sunny days. I love my mom or I love Faith Fest. No, it's, it's something completely different. In fact, this terminology abounding in love, when we look at it from this original language of all these terms I'm explaining to you in this series, it's probably the most difficult to translate into any language. But but I'm, I'm really going to do my best today at, at helping you to understand because it's, it's, it's a combination of so many things. It's not a warm fuzzy, okay? But it's a combination of so many different things, and, 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 I, and I want you to receive this. So I've given you this definition. It's a very broad and deep definition, but abounding in love in the Hebrew language is chesed. Can you say chesed? Chesed. You, you want to say it. I know you do. Come on. Chesed. Chesed. Isn't that fun? That's fun. Just don't spit on other people around you, right? Here it is. It is the combined ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment. It's a promise-keeping loyalty motivated by deep personal care. Leave that up there for a second or maybe even go back so that everybody can get that written down, all right? So, so, but in this, love and generosity and enduring commitment, they are all equal together in this definition of abounding in love. Abounding in love means you're going to keep your promises. It means you're going to keep your commitments. No matter how difficult or how hard it is, it really just means you're a very, very loyal person, and you're going to stick with that other person. So it, it also means that you're, uh, you're going to abound in personal care, deep personal care. So when you are abounding in love, chesed, that is what you do toward others. Now, so first of all, we're looking at how God does this. So, so God, a good example uh, of this is given to us actually by the story of Ruth. Uh, Ruth, the, the, the book of Ruth is an incredible book. It's, it's very different from any other book in the, in the Bible. But the book of Ruth, you'll find this character by the name of Ruth, and there's another character, Naomi, several others as well. But these two are the primary ones where we see that Ruth abounded in love toward Naomi. 
Just a little bit of background on this story. They lived in this foreign nation, and Ruth was Naomi's daughter-in-law. Uh, Naomi's, her, her husband died, and her, her son, actually both of her sons died, and, and they had these, these wives. It was obviously some kind of a, a work or industrial accident. They, they all died at the same time. And, and so here we have these, these widows, and Naomi, and she has these now basically ex-daughter-in-laws, and one of her ex-daughter-in-laws is Ruth. And, uh, and, and, and Naomi said, that, I have nothing left here. Basically, you lose your husband or you lose your family in that time, you are now Im- immediately cast into utter poverty, and you have really no hope in that culture. So she was going back to Israel where she would have a little bit of hope because things were a little different there. And, uh, and so she went back to Israel. She was going to go back to Israel to try to find a relative or something and, and, and maybe be a beggar, whatever, whatever she could do just to find some family. Well, Naomi, again, keep in mind, Naomi is not leaving with some big life insurance policy. She's, she's not leaving with some big, big thing. She's just, she's leaving with all the, the, little, the little that they have left. And so she's going to leave. She tells her daughters-in-law, she tells them, you guys, you're young. Marry some other guys. You're here in your homeland because they were actually foreigners. You know, live, live in your homeland. I'm going back to my homeland and, uh, and I'll see you later. It's been nice knowing you, but life, life happens. And Ruth just said, no. I, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. She promised to stay with her mother-in-law and then move out of her comfortable homeland away from her family and to move with her ex-mother-in-law to Israel. Because And, and she just said, I'm going to stay by your side. I'm going to take care of you. This was an act. The, the word chesed is in here because this, is, this wasn't conditional. It wasn't based upon Naomi's worth or her value. It was an expression of Ruth's character. And so Ruth is marked by generosity and enduring commitment. She has this promise-keeping loyalty and this deep personal care. Chesed. That's what she did for Naomi. Now, that's, a, that's in an interpersonal relationship in the Bible. Now, we also see that God chasseds, or he abounds in love toward another Bible character, and his name is Jacob. Uh, Jacob precedes Moses by a few hundred years, but, but Jacob was this treacherous liar. Uh, he, he even lied to his own family. But Jacob was Abraham's grandson. And, uh, and in spite of Abraham's trickery, in spite of his deceit, in spite of his just plain wickedness, God remained true to the promise that he had given to his grandfather, Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham was that, that uh, he was going to live this wonderful life and that he was going to have this family that was going to, to be huge and that God was going to use this family of his to restore blessing to the earth. And course, his descendant is Jacob. So 20 years later, in Genesis chapter 32, verse, two, verse 10, Jacob finally comes to his senses, and he says, I, God, I am not even worthy of all the chesed you have shown me, because he knew that he was a rascal. He knew that he was not a good guy. But the beauty of this is it was never Jacob's perfection in the first place. It was never what it was about. It was about God's generous, enduring loyalty to the promise that he had made. So 
This word chesed, it's, it's, it's powerful. We, we see it in Psalm 136. Psalm 136 is one of the most interesting psalms in the Bible. That's, that's where it's, it's repeated over and over because what happens is, is in Psalm 136, the way the songwriter wrote it is, is he gives this attribute or this character trait of God or maybe a deed of God, and then, at the, and then right after it, it repeats this. His love or his chesed endures forever. And you read through Psalm 136. It's beautiful. In fact, it's repeated like 26 times his chesed, his love endures forever. So, so I like uh, Psalm 136 verse 1 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. But even after centuries of Israel betraying God and turning away from God, uh, even after their history and their acts of violence, their acts of death, their, their acts of just total abandonment of the things of God, God continued to fulfill his promise, and he abounded in love. In fact, he abounded in love in a very, very dramatic way. And the way he did that is God became human in the form of Jesus Christ, and he, he actually came into the form of his own creation. He, God bound himself to what he had created, which is really interesting. You can imagine that. God creates something, and God binds himself to that, that, and that was Jesus Christ. And so that was the ultimate act of chesed, because in his life and his death and his resurrection, God opened up this new future for us, and, uh, and, and now chesed is among us. I love that. So when we encounter or experience his chesed, his enduring love, what happens when we receive Christ into our lives? This is beautiful. When we receive Jesus into our lives, we ask him to forgive our sins. He forgives us. He washes us clean as if we've never sinned. And then his spirit, and that spirit of love, that spirit of chesed, comes to live inside of us. And now you are agents of God's enduring love. Wherever you go, you're carrying God with you. Now, that is huge. That's why we are now called the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God that's in us. And I want to pause right here because if, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus or you're, you're not carrying the presence of God with you, I don't want to go on any further without giving you the opportunity to receive Christ. So I want to pause right here. I want you to open your hearts and listen to the voice of faith. In fact, will you just close your eyes all across this room? Will you just look internally? Because I want you to have that spirit of love in you. I want you to have the spirit of God in you. There's no reason for you to not have that. He loves you. He gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you. And he wants you to live with him forever. With your eyes closed all across this room, if there's anyone who would like to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ today, I'm going to ask you at the count of three just to lift your hand so I can see it. And then I can pray a prayer and my faith is going to be connected with you. Would you do that just all across this room? If you need Jesus, if you're ready to give your life to him, would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Just lift it up for me. Thanks. Thanks. Yes, put your hands down. Anyone else? If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray these words with me. To our congregation, will you pray them as well as an encouragement to those who are giving their lives to Jesus right now? Pray these words with me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Make me as if I've never sinned. 
I give my life to you. Put your Holy Spirit in me. Put your love in me. For today I choose to turn my back on the way I used to live and to begin living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're children of God. You're children of God. If you prayed that prayer, that's the most important thing that could ever happen today. But now I'm, I'm going to operate under the assumption that everyone who's watching online, everyone who's in this room are children of God. You have that spirit in you. You have that spirit of love in you. And I want you to know we have a mandate that comes from God to release that spirit of love and let it out. Because we are God's agents in this earth. And we do this by abounding in love toward others. Now, there was this very high-level religious leader, and, uh, and, and he confronted Jesus when he was, Jesus was doing his ministry. And he said, hey, okay, Jesus, what is the best, most important, the greatest commandment in the entire Bible? So he was going to confront Jesus, hoping to trip him up on something. But, but Jesus answered this. This is found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. He said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God. See that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love, there it is again, your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So this was an amazing answer. What Jesus was saying, really the greatest commandment, in fact, I'm going to give you an extra one here because there are two of them that are the greatest. It's all about abounding in love. That's what our faith is about, abounding in love toward God and abounding in love toward others. In fact, he says that all the scriptures hang on those two commandments. So if you can focus, hear this well, Christianity is not difficult. If you can focus on giving love to God and giving love to others, you can do everything else that the Scriptures say. You can do every other commandment. See, abounding in love is foundational. It's foundational to our faith. It's who God is, and because His Spirit comes to live in us, that's who we behave like. So, in fact, Christianity is the only religion of love. Did you know that? It's because God, who is abounding in love, has taken up residence in us. In fact, most of the New Testament, most of the New Testament, the, the writings on love were written by the Apostle John. He, is a, he, just, he has some amazing writings on that. And in 1 John chapter 4, uh, he makes this concept of living out our love practical. I want you to follow along with me. This is in 1 John 4, verses 7 11 and 17. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. Now, you need to read the whole chapter yourself. I'm not going to do it today, but, but look at these parts. Dear friends, let us love one another. Catch that? For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That means God lives in you. You're a child of God. Okay, verse 11, he said, dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love what? One another. Catching this? Verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because it is coming. Because in this world, you are like who? Jesus. 
So here's our challenge right here. It is so simple. It's to abound in love toward each other. Uh, like, like, and, and you have to understand, most of the New Testament was written to individual church congregations. It wasn't just written to everybody. It was written to individual church congregations. And, and so he's speaking to a church congregation here, and he's saying, you guys need to abound in love toward each other in your church. And uh, those are your fellow believers. Those are the people that you go to church with. And what's amazing, though, I want you to catch this. I, I don't understand all of it, but I do believe the scriptures. He goes on to say that if, if you can't love each other Love one another. You know, love everybody that you go to church with, that's in your congregation. You might not even know God. Now, that's him saying it, not me. Okay, that's up to you to figure out where you are on that. Because abounding with love is the primary identifier of Christians. In fact, the world is supposed to look at believers at the church and say, wow, look at them, look at them. See, because we emanate the life and the love of God. So John makes it clear that when we live this way toward each other, we are positioning ourselves to be ready for the final judgment. What the final judgment has to do with us loving one another is connected. Do you catch that? It is connected. So abounding with love toward one another actually prepares us for the judgment day. It's just how we live. The primary way we're supposed to live is abounding in love. Okay, now, now I want you to turn to this passage I asked you to look at at the very beginning. Look at uh, John chapter 13, verse 34. Hold that there. Now, this is the same John who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote, uh, he wrote the book of Revelation also. Uh, but he is going to share a quote of Jesus. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and John was present. He was there at that moment. There at the Last Supper, Jesus is about to be crucified a few hours later. They don't understand it all yet, but Jesus is giving his final last words to his disciples. And please understand, this was a mismatched group of people. They were from every end of the political spectrum. Some of these guys had strange attitudes and and acted... I mean, they, they were from different occupations, everything. They didn't fit, but Jesus chose them anyway. Hint, it's like the local church. All right, here's what he says to them. He's only talking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. Around the table, love each other. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Then he says something profound. He said, by this, by your act of love toward each other, everyone's going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He cannot say it enough. You've got to love each other. You've got to love each other. God is serious about this. See, because when believers don't show love toward other believers, especially in the local church family, our testimony becomes moot. We don't have a testimony. I mean, sorry, you're, you're not making Jesus known by how many good deeds you do. You're not making Jesus known because you showed up at Faith Fest and lifted your hand. You're not making Jesus known because you gave to the American Cancer Society. You're not making Jesus known because you went and, and, and fed a homeless person. No, it, you're not making Jesus known just because you memorized a lot of Scripture. It has to do with love. All those other things are fine. Love is foundational and how we actually love each other. Really, what Jesus is saying here, these are some of the last words of Jesus to his followers. How we love fellow believers is actually our greatest testimony. 
That is our greatest testimony. Now, I want you to think about this. Think deeply with me. I'm going to ask you to think. The local church family, this a congregation, is the only place in society, really, where the poor will sit with the wealthy, where we are convicted together by the same Holy Spirit to serve and to love each other. And what holds us together is the love of Jesus. We're bound together by the blood of Jesus. Right here, we are not held together by socioeconomic levels. We're not held together by genders or by careers or lifestyles or political positions. We're not, those are the things that bind together social groups, you know. But we're not like other social groups. This isn't a social group, even though we have social attributes. I, I do understand that. But see, the local church is different because this is a place where we pray for each other. When you're sick, you get with the local church, and you're going to see some miracles happen. The local church is where marriages are restored, and they're healed. It's where broken people are put back together, and lives are transformed. And some of you that we've been on a journey with for many years, you know that's true, because we've all seen it. We've all walked through it together. Now, this brings me to a point where I need to say something that, that really needs to be stated. And as I, as I state this, I, I'm not saying this, I'm not targeting this to any individual, so don't, don't feel that way. I, I choose not to use the pulpit in that way. I believe that's an abuse of the pulpit. Uh, if I want to say something to someone, I say it to them. But, uh, but this is something I, I believe we all need to hear, and this is something that really needs to go out uh, on, on video as well. And uh, I'm asking you to receive this into your hearts. And, and I'm going to talk about the new fascination with what's called the online church. I want to talk about this. Now, before I get into this, I do need to say this very clearly. What I'm saying, what I'm about to say does not apply to everyone, okay? It does, it, it does not apply to people who have a serious health issue or who cannot leave their house, things like that. It's not about people who cannot meet or fellowship with, with other believers and, or travel. It, 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 you know, if you live out in the middle of the wilderness and you're not anywhere near a Bible-believing church, it does, this doesn't apply to you. It doesn't apply to people who are working and can't come to church or they're out on vacation or, or what. So, is that, so please understand all of that. This is within that context, though. But this does apply not necessarily to you guys, but it applies to Christians in general who feel it's no longer necessary to regularly meet with the family of God. It's time to talk about it, okay? John 13, 35, we just read it. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, Keep in mind, love is more than just happy thoughts about other people, and we've already gone into depth of what this love, abounding in love, is really all about. But this really began to be massaged in my heart um, back in January. It, it really struck me during my father, my, my dad's, his final moments on this earth. We were doing video FaceTime with my dad in the hospital. If any of you have had a dying relative in the hospital. You're trying to do FaceTime with him because you can't see him, you can't touch him, you can't be with him. It's pretty lame, guys. It really is. Glad for it. I'm happy that 
we have those, that technology. But it wasn't the same thing as being with my dad. In fact, my dad said before he went to the hospital, if I die, I want to die at home. So we started doing everything we could do to get him out of that hospital. We pulled strings. We prayed prayers and, and talked with hospice and got to get him out of that hospital. They said, no, he can't come home. I was like, yes, he will. We're going to find a way. And the hospital staff tried driving me out. They called the police. So many police officers surround me. He said, get out. I was like, dude, I mean, it's just like I'm here with my mother. <laughs> it, it was, it was uh, intense. I didn't break any laws. Don't worry. <laughs> but I wanted to see my dad. My dad was dying. FaceTime just wasn't good enough. Uh, But dad was able to finally come to the house. And there in the house, surrounded by his family, my dad drew his final breath. So glad I got to see my dad and touch my dad. I got to pray with my dad. I got to be there with our family together, physically together. And the presence of God just swept into that room as my dad was ushered into eternity. And that experience got me to thinking, there's something different about watching something on a screen and being with the people that you love the most. Now, using the definition of love today, I want to ask the question, how can we really, really love, according to that definition, other Christians if we refuse to meet with the body of Christ, if we refuse to sing and worship together, if we refuse to uh, uh, worship and lay hands on one another and, and, and believe for miracles with one another. I mean, how can you get into the life personally of a discouraged believer if you're hiding from all the other believers? I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, well, I have my Christian friends. We, that's, our, that's my church. My new congregation is my friends or my family, and, 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 uh, and we can all worship God together and sing to God together and, and, and hang out. And I've even had you know, some people say, yeah, we, we all hang out together and go to the bar together, and, and we worship Jesus together. And I'm like, okay, you know what? That's a nice starting place. But that's not what the Scriptures calls us to do. So let me just tell you what the Scriptures call us to do. That's what I've just said. Now, now, if you're merely hanging out with Christian friends or even your blood family that's Christian and you're calling it church, it is misguided. It is. And you've actually sold yourself short. Here's the reason why. It's because friendships are built around, and even a blood family is built around a common affinity. That means you have similar styles and similar tastes and interests and education levels and social groups and economic levels. And you know that's the truth. You hang out with people who are kind of like you. Right? Right. And that's okay. And please understand, that is okay. That's a good thing. But the church clusters around one another for a very different purpose. We cluster around the cross of Jesus Christ, and the local church does it in a specific location. So for us, it is downtown Fort Worth. We're clustering around the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, friendship groups and the local church, therefore, are very, very different because the local church is multi-generational. It's, it's the educated and the uneducated who are here. Uh, the, the local church is multi-ethnic. It's where all socioeconomic levels can be together. It's where the financially wealthy and the, and the financially destitute, we sit together. 
the, the, the local church is multicultural. There are so many different cultures right here in this room. And, and, and it carries a broad perspective of political opinions and perspectives. It's the blue collar. It's the white collar. It's the unemployed. A local church is full of people who have different, different styles and even people of different sizes and shapes and accents and different hairstyles and skin colors and personal styles. And I say that's good. And the day a church starts where everybody starts looking together like exactly the same, like a friendship group often does, which is fine. But when a church starts looking like that, that's just scary. That's what I call a cult almost, you know. See, the local church has mature, immature, and baby Christians all at the same place, as well as those who are seeking Christ who have yet to even find him. The church also has the lovely and beautiful and the unlovely and maybe even ugly. That's the beauty of a church, the local church. And God says, Jesus said it to the side, this is where chesed must happen, abound in love toward each other. Faith Fest was a good example because it was our church, but it was also extended church, but it was our church. And, and, and I went out there at Faith Fest and talked about some different styles. Oh my goodness, I mean, one minute it's country. I, I love Jesus, he loves me. And then a few, a few, you know, then, then a few minutes before that, there's, there's a Puerto Rican singing in Spanish rap. I'm like, whoa, I, mean, I, I love this. Sweetheart, what is he saying? You know, it's just... I'm glad you know Spanish. The music's good, good, different. I don't listen to that kind. But I love it. The, the beauty of it is, and, and if you notice, we're loving on each other. The prayer booth, people are praying for each other. That's what this, the, come on, guys. That's the body of Christ. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But on the other hand, understand, the friendship groups are great. I'm not against them. I'm all for them. But friendship groups are looking for people that, you know, where you look alike, you talk alike, you act like each other, you have the similar interests, uh, and, and you like to go to the same places together. A friendship group is, is a, is a I, I, here's my definition, it's a comfortable cluster of culturally similar relationships, and that is very different than the body of Christ. Now you see the difference. That is why, that is why we must meet together and love one another. And watching on a video as wonderful as it is, we're gonna, we, we keep doing it. I, I love it. We're, we're going to keep doing this. But it doesn't really, really cut it. Because the real ministry happens when it's face-to-face. And, and I go, well, I do know that real ministry does happen online. I, I, I do know that. In fact, we have a great team of online hosts who are right now dealing with all the questions that, that are being brought up. And good luck, guys. But, uh, but it's not the same as being with other believers. It isn't. In fact, I've heard some really strange things over the past 18 months. I mean, some bizarre stuff as a pastor. Uh, you know, stuff like, man, this COVID thing is great because I can stay at home. And I, can, I can stay at home in my robe, and now I have 10 pastors. Yeah, I've been told that kind of stuff. I, well, let me just tell you. No, you don't. You don't have 10 pastors. You have 10 YouTubers talking to you. Those are not your pastors. The, I'll say it again. The YouTuber, even though I'm a YouTuber right now, he is not or she is not your pastor. They're not your small group leader. They are not your church family. Are they going to come to your house and pray for you? 
they going to be invited over? Are you going? Did they going to invite you over to their house? Are they going to hang with you in the community? Are they going to minister to you in your time of trial or when you have a death in your family or when your marriage falls apart? No. No. Are they going to be there to call the congregation together to say, we need to bless this person. We need to pray for this person. We need to encourage this person. Are they going to be there to do that when you're walking through a dark valley? No. No. Please understand, those YouTuber people, like I am right now, they, they won't be able to walk you through anything. In fact, there are people who are watching me right now that I'll never be able to walk you through anything. But I'm glad you're tuning in. It's a start. It's a good thing. But you've got to be with the local body. See, local church pastors have a mandate from God. And it's important to understand this. Part of the mandate from God, there's several things, but part of the mandate from God is to hear from God a word that is, that is tailor-made for the people in that neighborhood or in that culture or in that local church. See, that's why I, I pray all the time, God, I want to say what you want me to say, which is going to sound different than what First Methodist says down the road, or it's going to be different than what some other church says in town. Why? Because God, God speaks specifically to people in a local congregation. Also, the pastor you know, has, has a mandate from God to also bring a balanced spiritual diet to people, but you'll never receive a balanced spiritual diet by playing spin the YouTube dial and see who pops up today. And, and I want to be candid with you. I'm, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox. I've, I've really thought this through. I even shared this with the staff. I said, is this too harsh? And they said no. Um, so th- there's a lot of religious stuff that's out there on YouTube that's simply bad. There are a lot of YouTubers posing as pastors and theologians, and here's one of the things to watch out for. If they're not connected, connected to a local church or under authority themselves, they're out, from under their own author- they're out from under authority. And a lot of times you won't even know that because there's no way to tell. Another thing is, is another way to identify something is when a person is on video and YouTube and, and all they do is talk bad about other churches. They talk bad about Christians. They beat other Christians down. They talk about all the other evil things of other Christians and how they're not good enough. Turn that off. I, I'm going to tell you, can I just be honest with you? I'm, I'm tired of people confronting me regarding what song we sing and what song we don't sing because of what they heard on YouTube. It's, it, it needs to stop. Because when you see people on, on YouTube criticizing other believers, they need to get back in the Bible themselves and read about how we love one another and we don't do that kind of stuff. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. Good. So... There are, a lot of, there are a lot of Robins out there posting as Batman, and they're just not, all right? Here's a, here's a good way to put it. I take supplements. I take supplements, okay? Uh, one of the supplements I take is vitamin D3. I like it. I encourage everyone to do that. I think it's a, it's a good supplement. But it doesn't take place of a meal. It cannot take the place of meats and vegetables, and that's what online church is like. It really is. It's a supplement, and there's a lot of good stuff out there. So I'm not saying you turn it all off. But it cannot take the place of a spiritual meal and, from, and a, a Christian family that interacts and loves one another deeply. So I'm calling you to be in church physically. Because church really isn't what you can get out of a sermon. That's what online church is. Church really isn't what you can get out of a sermon. This is a small part of the whole dimension. It's about what you give. It's about how you love. It's about touching other people. You don't know it, but your love, your words of encouragement, your prayers, you have no idea how they may be blessing somebody else. Local church, 
when we abound in love in this place, oh my goodness, we're doing Christianity. And the beauty of it is we get to do abound in love toward people that are very different than us. Many of you, I would not cross paths with you in day-to-day life at all. But we intersect here, and that's the beauty of the body of Christ. This is Christianity. And and, and the scriptures are clear. The world will look at us. How can such a mismatched group of people love one another with such intensity and care? They'll look at us and say, they must be followers of Jesus because this doesn't happen anywhere else in the culture because the culture is becoming more and more divided and hostile. It is. Hebrews 10.25 says this, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. That means getting together and encouraging all the more as you see the day approaching. It's, It's as if the writer of Hebrews saw this day coming. And I believe he's issuing a warning because we all know this. We all know this. The signs of the return of Jesus are everywhere around us. And we must refuse to follow the trend of saying, I'm just going to stay away from everything. Because we, when we meet together, we must, when we meet together, there's an explosion of God's presence. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews said, when you see these things coming, when, when people start backing off and saying, well, I, I don't know, I don't know. You know, when, 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 uh, when, when things become divisive in the world and the world begins falling apart, don't do that in the church. He says, all the more you should come together. Why? It's because the day of the Lord is close and we need to be here to encourage one another and to strengthen one another. We need each other. I challenge you to abound in love toward each other. And why? Here's the bottom line. It's because Jesus is coming soon. We need to feel and know that we're loved. We need to be in a place where love abounds. And that is the local church. And I want you to keep abounding in love toward each other. And don't you dare stop it. It's clear we're living in the final days. We absolutely must abound in love toward one another. Take a look around this room. Just take a look around and look around the room. You're going to see a few people that might look like you, but most don't. That's what I see, and I like it, because that's the body of Christ. I'd like for everyone in this room to please stand with me. We're going to pray together. God, I pray, I want you to receive this prayer. God, I pray for every person in this room, every person who's watching online, that we will make the choice because the Spirit of God lives in us, that Spirit of love, that we will make the choice to abound in love. We will abound in generosity. God, we will abound in enduring commitment to one another. God, let this be a church where we keep our promises to one another. God, let us be a body where we, where we care for each other deeply in deep personal manners. God, let this be a church where we just simply act like Jesus. Lord, that's what I want. That's what I crave. I crave that. For God, your love is relentless. I 
Thank you for your relentless love. And God, that love is not only from you to us, but it's from us to you. And it's from us to others. And I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you for the local church. I thank you, God, that the best days are yet to come. And I thank you, God, you are building a strong church in these last days that's going to withstand the storms of this world. And we're going to see mighty miracles happen among us as we love one another, as we invoke the presence of God, and as God continues to work in us and through us. So let it be in our church. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. Amen. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.